I probably should have left at least one crystal out, but I've packed them all. Sometimes change comes suddenly, and after a year of sitting in place with so much of what we knew of reality to be on pause, it was disorienting when one finds out uh, one needs to relocate, and to do so quickly. Our experiment at urban commune life, while initially thrilling, recently became unmanageable, and ultimately not a whole lot of fun. So along with my niece Katrina and her daughter Pepsi, Glinda and I have been frantically piling all of our belongings into boxes and planning for a speedy exit under the cover of darkness. Now, I'm not giving up on commune life entirely. In fact, we're getting out just as no less than the New York Times has been floating suggestions for how to convert all the empty office spaces in Manhattan into affordable housing. Well, sounds like we have a few fans of the Grey Lady. <laughs> Clearly they've been listening this season, as all along I've been piloting just such a program here in Brooklyn. And aside from this little hiccup, which I will explain, we've uh, proved that it can work. But it is important to do at least a little research before starting a, a new commune in Manhattan or elsewhere, if you're so inclined. Then that is a step the research part that I, I may have skipped, and uh, I, 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 I've not been entirely honest about it with you. It's difficult for me uh, to say, but what I was calling an abandoned apartment building was really a not-so-abandoned TD bank. Now, as it turns out, the leaseholders and I disagree over some terms, including ownership zoned for residents, and illegal occupancy. In fact, the bank was preparing to reopen and welcome its remote workers back when they found Ennis digging an irrigation trench through the lobby, which was going to make a world of difference in our hydroponic lettuce farm that we'd installed using reclaimed safety deposit boxes. So while they have graciously given the many commune members a chance to take down our batik wall hangings and darken our standing halogen floor lamps, you know the kind. Uh, they're found in most communes, where you put a little oil on the little plate on top. <laughs> Except one should never do that, really, because as my mother told me repeatedly, some of them were prone to bursting into flame. <laughs> and don't ever touch the halogen bulb with your bare hand, because, again, that had something to do with, I think, oils and flammability. The selling point of those lamps, as I recall, was that it had a dimmer and required constant vigilance or it would spontaneously combust. Perfect for any dorm room. Anyway, uh, while Ennis and Indigo have signed on to see if they can start a new commune in a former Halloween adventure superstore on West 4th, our little unit has secured a space above a vegan ice cream shop quite close to the Gowanus. And if you've ever moved anywhere, even if not under the threat of legal action, you know that it can be very stressful. So having my arsenal of healing stones and maybe a full bottle of gin would have really helped these past few days. But much like that mighty boat in the Suez Canal, we're finally going forward. Pushed, prodded, and forcibly ejected. We're talking about moving, sifting through the past, and finally gaining a roof deck when we undo a little corner of packing tape and crawl into the cardboard box that now contains the Deep Knight. 
Hello, it's me, Dale Saver, and I'm so tired is what I am. I'm going to have to rub down my calves in CBD oil to get any sleep tonight. I remain your host, guide, and guru, though, through this next hour of regrets and revelations. It won't be a full hour, so don't worry about that. <laughs> no, no. In fact, I think Galinda may be upset that I haven't packed up my microphone and podcasting kit just yet. But I feel the need to send one more missive out into the universe to reach you, as I think we should also just acknowledge this strange time that many of us are experiencing. We meet you where you are, where that is, and we come to you tonight, as we always do, from the foul banks of the Gowanus. Imagine a boat getting stuck on the Gowanus Canal. They wouldn't need any fancy tools to free that vessel. No, just let it sit there for a fortnight. When you return, it will have melted into slag and have sunk down to form a little molten sandbar at the bottom of the canal. <laughs> like you, I enjoyed watching that big ship get stuck, <laughs> with all the boats just piling up behind it, global capitalism creaking to a halt because one overstuffed ship ran aground in a sandstorm. <laughs> I mean, I probably won't like it when all the new furniture we ordered gets delayed, and I'm spending yet another Easter morning sleeping on a wadded-up towel and warming up a spiral-cut ham in the microwave. But there's something in the cosmos, isn't there? Maybe you're feeling it, too. Libra full moon, Scorpio rising, Godzilla versus Kong. Whatever the energies are right now among the stars, it's a time of terrific shifts and upheavals. Great blockages being freed. People are getting vaccines. Schools reopening. And whether you think that's all a good idea or not, with these businesses and cities returning to full capacity, and while I would certainly say, hey, uh, wait a minute on that front, it's also this time where we've all just been so pent up, in stasis, unable to do the thing, unable to move forward, and now suddenly there's this sense that we can run out into the streets again. One need only look to the fresh pink blossoms on the cherry trees to see that Gaia is pulsing with new energy and growth. Soon it will be warm enough to wear a turtle tank with my linen meditation trousers out of doors. Soon we'll actually be able to gaze upon one another's faces again, and not in the angry way we sometimes have done over the past few months when we spy someone not wearing their masks or not wearing it correctly, but we'll be able to see each other again in uh, full face, full face in a very uh, human way, and be able to greet our friends and family and neighbors and even strangers, but of course with that you, you're never sure how that's going to go. And in fact, I just said to Galinda while searching the curtain aisle at Marshall's that perhaps I'm not so eager to give up the mask. I haven't had a cold. I've enjoyed the extra anonymity. And most of all, I enjoy not smelling things at full potency. 
I think I feel things too intensely. So bringing the volume down on society has been kind of a great thing for me. I mean, there's still problems, don't get me wrong. Obviously, we can't have people attacking anyone over their identity, uh, be it someone who is black or of Asian descent or someone who identifies as trans. We got issues, as the man who delivered the, my New Yorker magazines used to say. He was a kind man, but he always waited until the end of the month to deliver my magazines, and he'd give them to me wrapped up in twine. He clearly had just read them in his truck over the course of the month and uh, b before he gave them to me, as if I would be happy to have them in, in one fell swoop instead of the usual, you know, pesky weekly publication schedule. On a personal level, it has been nice to not feel the full weight of being a resident of this city. I've lived here for 13 years, and to have an entire year without the subway? A minor blessing. A chance to recalibrate the senses. I mean, what will happen when I inevitably go back? Will I drop to the ground in sensory agony, overwhelmed by it all? People eating yogurt on the F train, clipping their nails, pushing into each other this way and that the strange sensation of making accidental eye contact with someone, the weird vibration that happens when you realize you're wearing the same turtleneck as the person standing directly across from you, the delicate lifting of the foot to avoid a rolling half-full water bottle as it goes up and down, the car, the absolute connectedness one feels when you notice that everyone on the train is on the same color journey and your eyes jump from maroon scarf to maroon sneakers to maroon beret, and you wonder if the whole reality uh, is a simulation, and whoever is in charge fell asleep with their elbow on the maroon button. I've enjoyed the space around my person, and I've grown accustomed to the mask. The way I gasp for air after climbing a single set of stairs... The way one breaks out in exactly the same spot every week or so because of the constant irritant of the fabric around your nose. I'm going to hope that no one minds me just wearing that mask forever. I mean, I could segue into being that guy. I used to make fun of the folks who seem to have stepped directly out of the movie safe with the SARS mask and the aversion to heavily scented goods in the supermarket. But maybe I'm just that guy. And maybe these little scraps of armor are actually because some of us just feel too deeply, and it does help us mitigate the intensity of reality. Oh, the mind reels, especially when one should be packing. And in a way, even though the circumstances are not ideal, and I guess I can never bank a TD bank ever again, I'm ready to move into a new living situation. And this place that we're going, friends, does it have it all? Oh, friend, a weird smell in the hallway? You bet. A small dog living right above us? Buckety buck, buck, buck. A view of the Gowanus? No, that would have been too much to ask. But truly, uh, it should be a fine move. And I look forward to this next chapter, even eleven blocks away. And one of the great things about packing all of your belongings, and friend, how many times have you moved in your life? This will be not counting my childhood home, the 25th dwelling I've inhabited. And some of this stuff uh, <laughs> that I keep moving, not worth it. Let's be honest. These, these are things that you, you carry around like barnacles. I'm beginning to question that maybe I am just the thing that the, the items are carrying around. <laughs> I'm the barnacle. Uh, <laughs> 
But these things, they grow into you and around you. And, and why? Why? We think we're going to do what with them? Sell them? Not likely. I'd spend every day at the post office. Are you going to give them to your children so what, they can haul it around with them to, to the West Coast and back? I mean, no, don't get me wrong. Uh, I did pack them all again. They're, they're coming with, but that temptation is there to shed, to rid my being of the weight of the memory that stares back at me from some of these things. Do I need a small wooden box with photos of Ginny and me playing our first gigs in Tampa? The eyeglasses repair kit that I bought in Reno when Ginny sat on her sunglasses and we were playing a show in the lobby of the Golden Nugget where they had created a stage out of fake rocks and we had to traverse as we sang the hits of George Michael. Oh, a padded envelope of black and white photos I took of Ginny at the Alligator Rescue Facility, which at the time I thought were arty, but now I see that I was just trying to keep my distance from some pretty big gators and from being emotionally honest uh, with her. Of course, it's not all Ginny-related. I have some things in there from childhood, an incense-burning kit from my mother's day at a hippie college in Vermont, a London fog trench coat worn by my grandfather, which uh, I put it on once to go to the bodega in the rain, and I realized uh, from some very long stares that it has the unfortunate effect of making me look like a flasher or someone who should uh, not linger near playgrounds. And I guess I hold on to these things because they are my NFTs. They are my emotional and psychic non-fungible tokens. I can trace their lineage back to people I loved, to people I knew who are no longer here, and that personal blockchain is their pedigree, and only I can see it. And therefore it has a charge, a value, that is really only for me to know. And the cryptocurrency in this analogy, I think, it's very late. <laughs> but I think I'm understanding, is my memory. So we assume uh, that it's real, but if you believe me, then it works. And uh, the memories are in limited supply, so the longer I hold on to it, supposedly the more value it accrues. Is that... <laughs> Have I understood the assignment? Now, so it's not just a bag of postcards, but a bag of handwritten correspondence from 1918, and instead of any, uh, just any old year, it's the year that uh, my relatives lived through the pandemic of their time. So how did that look? Is that why there's so many postcards? Because no one could see each other. Is that why they're so elaborate, printed on wood with 3D elements and little patches of glitter or tufts of feather? <sighs> oh, my gosh. I think the point is I have a lot of stuff. But when you're in this moment that I am in, that we're all in, of trying to desperately move forward, it feels like you want to just dump all these boxes into the water, whether it's a canal or a lake, but probably a canal, and just give up those memories. But that goes against literally every instinct you have to part with something that could trigger an entirely different time in your life. What magic is that? And as you age, I can tell you, because I'm doing it, uh, you feel it more. This tug of nostalgia, of real emotion for anything that has come before. It takes very little for you to imagine each of these things and where it lived in each of those uh, 20 or more or less spaces you lived in. Receiving energy from those walls and giving it back. No apartment or house is just wood and drywall and brick. It's a container for you, at a time when you needed it to be there. For some of us, 
that's an empty TD bank with enough spaces for you to interact with a collection of displaced individuals who needed each other to make it through a global pandemic. The space we were in might have been small and dark and had a piano player directly above us, but it made sure we were okay. And those spirits you keep in the drawers or under the bed, the things that you just came into contact with again, those memories, and the things you can't believe you're paying another company to move eleven blocks away, these companions you've kept with you are also looking out for you and keeping your shadow self in check. The charged objects that can remind you of how things could have been, glimpses into alternate dimensions, grounding wires to tether you to the person that you've become by having the experiences you've had. Are you feeling at ease yet? <laughs> Is this a meditation on moving? Is that what I'm doing? <laughs> a sort of objection to the prevailing notion that you need to spark joy at every turn? Perhaps. Or perhaps it's words I use to excuse the latent tendency I have inherited to hoard everything, for one never knows when it would be useful. It may be that convenient. Or it may be the thing I've been talking about for many years now, that objects carry residual energies and can be conduits between you and another world, and to ignore its vibrations is not to be as full a person as you could be if you stopped and listened. It's okay to spark other emotions. To hold a moth-ridden sweater in a dry-cleaning bag and have a good cry at what has been lost. And if that thing can trigger an emotional response that is deep and true, well, friend, grab a little bubble wrap and throw it in the box. And, of course, there's plenty you should get rid of or throw out. Galinda's a whiz at this. Pepsi, also fantastic. Not a sentimental bone in that young person's body. Are all children like this? Maybe because so much of her life has transpired digitally that objects don't have the same stickiness as they did for us older warlocks. But who knows? Who knows what the future holds uh, for that generation as they uh, move ahead unburdened by multiple iterations of harm and confusion and anger, uh, currents that run so strongly through those uh, of us who have come before? Well, uh, if that's the case, all the better, kids. <laughs> I can tell you I'm not going to figure out TikTok, so it's all yours. Also, if you can, save the planet. Just pin that, okay? Because that's going to that's gonna be task number one. I try to put positivity out there, as you can tell, friends. You know me. And so this week, even with everything going on, when so much is up in the air and shifting around us, there is uh, just a little kernel of negativity that I'm trying not to hold on to, that I'm trying to look at with, with, with eyes of love and try to work my way uh, around it. Now, I referenced this obliquely in an earlier episode, but let me just uh, tackle it straight on this week. There's a, a much more famous person in personality who's launching a podcast. Now, Look, I gather he used to work at a video store, so things could not have been going so well for him. Naturally, a podcast is where he belongs. Uh, and I, maybe he's an AM radio host or something like that. I don't know all the details. His name is uh, Terry. Now, uh, so far, fine. Now, a guy wants to start a podcast. This is not news. <laughs> a disgruntled one at that. Uh, definitely not news. And really, as I can attest, having attended the recent Global Podcasting Summit, more podcasts, the better. Happy for anybody that wants to get into the game. But this character, a persona that is Terry, appeared on social media in a striking black turtleneck with a swooping hairstyle and a single crystal pendant around his neck on a chain. So when I saw that pop up, 
It was like looking in a distorted mirror. I lost consciousness and collapsed to the floor. Galinda had her smelling salts from her brief career as an anesthetician uh, handy and got me back awake and helped me get into my sleep hammock till I was able to think clearly again. It bothered me, and I was registering a deep rage in my body, but I tried to slow my own emotions down, as I sometimes have to do when faced with a situation like this. It did warrant further investigation. That's part of the slowing down process. So uh, I found out that uh, this Terry fella is hosting a show called Dark Air. Deep Night, Dark Air. Well, it's close. Uh, the description of the show about a beloved late-night radio host who is dealing with the paranormal and the mysteries of the cosmos and has some unfinished business with his ex-wife. Look, uh, as I'm saying the word, you, you hear it, you hear it, right? <laughs> so, okay. Uh, and now some of you were kind enough to write me, as I said, and you let me know how you felt about it. And, and before, uh, in a previous episode, I said I was happy for you to be angry on my behalf. And look, uh, uh, you must follow your heart in this and all things. I'm generally trying to practice a kind of radical openness each and every day. And uh, in that practice, I must only greet this development of something that hews pretty close to the terrain uh, we've carved out here in the deep night, and uh, although this new one is backed by a company and involved a few talents that have actually appeared on this show uh, or with whom I have worked in the past, I must greet this with love. That's the only way. It's also very tricky. Did I make sure that my legal protections were in place? Friend, this is my not, <laughs> not the first time dealing with identity theft. Did I also reach out to Terry and invite him on the show? Of course I did. Why not? I'd love to meet a fellow traveler. I also reached out to the production company with an invite to appear and do a little cross-promotion. A rising tide, all boats. We've, we know that a rising tide lifts all the boats. We just saw that. <laughs> I promise I'll stop making water boat references at some point, but now is not the time. The long and short of it is that I do not want nor need for this to be a source of soreness. I know where I sit in the grand scheme of things and in this business of show. And so, yes... You may see some advertisements for this thing this very week and think, whoa, that looks uh, like Dale. And you'd be right. But uh, things come and go. And even should this character take off and there's some other manifestation in some other media form or whatever, know that the deep night was here long before and I have been around even longer. Uh, maybe forever. <laughs> but perhaps this is a signal that I do need to accommodate a shift in my being. Maybe I need to evolve to meet a new moment, and uh, we'll see what happens with that. I urge you to also pr uh, practice kindness in your life when met with things that challenge you. I mean, protect yourself in your future, but sit with something before acting. Determine whether you stay in the light or if you need to wade into the darkness. And if you feel alone, put on a turtleneck and then put on another one. And that extra tightness from the second turtleneck will feel like a hug. And then maybe things won't be so bad. And you could just close your eyes and just uh, be there on the floor spread out. And uh, eventually, uh, you know, time, time will pass. Uh, the sun will rise again. And, um, you, you know, it, it'll, it'll, it'll get better. Now, uh, <laughs> I explained my position on this whole thing to another close friend of mine, and they seemed kind of shocked by my reaction uh, uh, to someone kind of coming in, and it could be seen 
taking part of what was mine. But, uh, friend, in this situation, as was, as was so many, I take my cues from a number of otherworldly sources, such as the sludge patterns in the bottom of my mushroom matcha, the reflections from a smoky quartz point as they dance on my lover's face, and volcanic eruptions. For eons, people have looked to volcanic eruptions as guides for major life changes. Lesser known than the witches who study uh, tarot or the lines of one's palms, ancient seekers would often read lava flows to tell the townspeople whether or not it was a good idea to date the scone maiden and where to plant the bones of a fish to ensure a bountiful catch. So when the volcano Fagradsviak erupted recently in Iceland, and I'm pretty sure that I nailed that pronunciation, Fagradsviak, something like that, I thought, okay, okay, is that earth rage? Is that a joyful explosion? Is it like the boat in the canal, the vaccine rollout and all the rest, something that was being blocked, now released? And what are the people who were playing soccer mere inches away from the molten flow or roasting hot sausages directly in the cooling magma? How do I behave more like them? How do I take something that could initially be read as this violent, destructive impulse from deep within and see it as a creative force? Now, sure, Pliny the Elder died when Vesuvius rained down hot gas, rock, and ash, but Pliny the Younger saw it happen and was able to tell his uncle's story and ensure that much of what he had compiled about the world made it into circulation. Now, to me, that old melty rock has a lesson for us, and it was not uh, to fly a drone over an active volcano unless you have a very deep bench of replacement drones. But also, hot rage is helpful to a point, but things cool eventually, and that's really the place where you need to spend the most time. So project into that space. Imagine a life among the rich volcanic soil growing beautiful, enormous potatoes. Moving. The earth is moving. Water is moving. The moon is moving. We're all hurtling through space, which is uh, something I sometimes forget. And when I remember, I try not to think about it because it hurts my brain a little bit. Now, what are we running from? And is there a destination in mind, or will we eventually just bounce off the source wall at the edge of existence and be flung back in the opposite direction? Are we always just packing our things and moving to a new place? Is this all there is over and over and over again? That's what it feels like for me, not just because I'm surrounded by cardboard boxes. In this cavern of taped-up belongings, you know, I got to thinking about how we ended up with so many boxes in the first place. Not just us, but the big us, all of us. And so it was no surprise to me that while Englishmen and Scotsmen were fiddling about scoring paper and making pre-made paperboard boxes and eventually corrugated ones by the end of the 1800s, in France, the first cardboard boxes were used by those in the silk trade to transport the Bombyx moray moth and its eggs, the humble transformative silkworm. The worm, bred for thousands of years, moves through its life stages, ultimately spinning a cocoon made of silk. Now, if they're allowed to survive and enter the final state as a moth, they burn a little hole, a little secretion in their cocoons, and wriggle out and unfurl their wings and fly away. But in order to keep the silk of their cocoons intact, 
They're often killed while in the larva stage, and then the cocoons are unspooled and the threads are used to make silk. And uh, that's a little terrible. I mean, I once got into bed with uh, silk sheets wearing a pair of custom silk pajamas. I slid right off the bed onto the floor. I had built up so much momentum at that point that I just kept sliding, and had the door of that hotel room been open, I would have gone right on out into the hall and ended up at the reception desk, where I would have had to do some explaining, unless Reggie was still on duty, because as a Star Points Rewards member, I dealt with him often, and he and I had an understanding about things he saw or didn't see when it came to those business trips, especially in the years when I was touring as the opening act for up with people. As a performer, moving living spaces is particularly onerous and triggering, if I'm using that word correctly. So many playbills and programs and postcards and posters and photos, which has more of a soft uh, piece, and scripts, old headshots where I convey quiet intensity against a garage door covered in graffiti, because that's what someone trying to hire a sketch comedian is probably looking for. And even before Up With People and before my fruitful partnership touring the lower sunbelt with Ginny, certainly before any Reiki training with Galinda, I was kind of hot for a moment on the avant-garde performance circuit. I don't often have the chance to talk about that part of my life, but after studying a bit of mold-making in Rhode Island, I went on to test the boundaries of what audiences would accept under the guise of entertainment. And many a time, I was the weird fellow in the corner doing a questionable action on repeat. That's actually an entire genre of performance art. You walk into any gallery in the 90s, maybe today, and someone was guaranteed to be off to themselves eating the New York Times or polishing coins till they disappeared. Just a remarkable time. Now, for my part, I remember coating a wall with Cool Whip and the marshmallows, just the marshmallows, from a box of Lucky Charms. And I would kind of crouch in one corner, barefoot, and a little bit feral, and wearing a, a tattered suit surrounded by what looked like pods hanging from the ceiling. And every uh, 15 minutes or so, I would stagger over and lick that wall. It probably sounds pretty intriguing to, to you, and I assure you, it was not. It was a mishmash of odd ideas thrown together. The main thing I wanted to accomplish was to eat those two forbidden foods, things we never had in our house sugary cereals and artificial whipped dessert toppings. So on those terms, it was a success. But as a work of art, well, let's just say it needed an edit. Perhaps like this show from time to time, you may be thinking. <laughs> now, of course, through all of this, I was still young enough to, uh, that I had no idea, really, what being an adult was like. That's one of the things that I still, uh, in the language of our youth today, find totes cringe about my past so I guess I kind of have two gears, crying about what is no longer uh, around and absolutely red-faced that any of it existed at all. Uh, anyway, this is supposed to be an episode about packing, and here I am unpacking. No wonder I'm still surrounded by flotsam and jetsam of my life, all strewn about a staff break room in an empty urban banking facility. I think Galinda may be in a similar position, though she uh, has far less stuff from her past. So little, in fact, that it has prompted a few questions, but as soon as I inch close to asking them, something comes up, and the next thing I know, I'm waking up in a cloud of sage and sandalwood surrounded by singing bowls that Galinda is slowly striking with a wooden phallic-shaped mallet, or as I call it, a phallet. Also, talk about a challenge packing Tibetan singing bowls, medicinal bath salts, large amethyst geodes, a collection of Vietnamese gongs, 
not easy to fit into a standard cardboard box. Honestly, I just end up wrapping most of it in yoga mats and my aerial silks. Aerial silks. Now, that was an ambitious pandemic goal that remains unrealized. Perhaps in the new place. That's what we're hoping for, I guess. A new start. But one informed by years and of other moves in other places. Absorbing that energy of all the things around us and the stardust that is in everything. And the mystical forces that hold and protect us and make moving forward possible. Like the moon altering the tides. Like a volcano reshaping the landscape. Like a podcaster moving studios. Hopefully we'll be back up and running again next week. Maybe with a guest, maybe just me settling into the new digs. And maybe it'll take me a moment to really recalibrate and return to you. It's a special thing to be surrounded by your past in a new context. And I guess I'm looking forward to it. And who knows, maybe the neighbors will be into getting some communal chores started. I have had some great guests this season who said yes, so I know we're going to have some good food, some good music to go with it, if they're willing. All right, well, I can hear Galinda putting another box together in the bedroom, so it's time for me to go. But thank you for being here and for your kind words this week. And remember that although this night is ending, a bright new day is just ahead. Deep Night with Dale is produced and performed by James Bewley. Season theme song by Mariam Cadus of Space Moth. Season podcast icon by Philippa Beleza. Incidental music heard throughout the program by the talented roster at Howler Hills Farm in Ohio. Remember to rate and review the program on Apple Podcasts or tune in and stream the show on Spotify, SoundCloud, Pandora, or Stitcher, wherever you find fine audio content. To see any of our live shows or other short videos, visit our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Radio, and follow us on Instagram at DaleSeaver is the handle. Thanks again for listening, and remember this season to keep your portals open and at a safe distance.